Remarkable to think that those are the vocals of Andrew Strong, that they're 30 years, they're 29 years old. He's not even 50 years old yet. That, that's really, really frightening. Uh, that is, of course, Mustang Sally from The Commitments of Film, which has been very much back in people's minds this week following the passing of its director, Alan Parker, who died at the age of 76. Uh, his death has, of course, led to much reflection on his contribution to cinematic history, and he certainly left behind a rich legacy of films with all sorts of different uh, genres and themes. But, of course, as far as an Irish audience might be concerned, his greatest legacy was what he did for Irish cinema, which was really on its knees at the time with the incredible success of The Commitments when it was released back in 1991, an immediate cult success, although the critics weren't wild about it, actually it has to be said, and paving the way for a 1990s film revival in Ireland, which Donald Fallon has joined us uh, to tell us all about. Good afternoon, uh, Donald. Hey, to be here. It's been a great week playing that soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's, it's a classic in fairness to it. Um, it it's kind it's of funny that only a few weekends after we were talking about the legacy of Jack Charlton and what an Englishman had done for Ireland, that again we're talking about another English creative who had this incredible impact yeah, in this country. and we talk a lot on this slot and in general in Ireland we talk a lot about the influence we've had on English culture, you know, Irish blood, English art mm. and it brings to mind so much Dusty Springfield, Iris Murdoch, Oasis, Elizabeth Bowen, Morrissey, if we can still mention him, you know, you could go on and on and on but in some ways our, our neighbouring Ireland has sometimes contributed its fair share in reverse, not least of all, uh, Big Jack but you know when it comes to cinema as well, and English directors. And two, I think, come to mind. Immediately, Ken Loach, you know, director of a number of very significant films focused on Ireland, Hidden Agenda, The Wind That Shakes the Barley, Jimmy's Hall. But likewise, there was Alan Parker. And, you know, that one director could leave behind him both The Commitments and Angela's Ashes mm, yeah. is extraordinary. I mean, it says so much about Parker and his output that these two films were so vastly different. Yeah, and, and of course, the, the danger is from an Irish perspective that you pigeonhole the two of those as just being, oh, well, they were his Irish films. And then you forget that he did Bugsy Malone and Evita oh, and Fame look, and all these other you from, know phenomenal variety. From and Midnight Express yeah, to like Angel so, Heart. So diverse. Absolutely incredible. I mean, he came from very little, the son of a house painter born in North London uh, in the war years. And he maintained, I think, a very strong sense of where he had come from. And I think that's what drew him towards the film we're talking about today. I mean, he was on record as saying, I wanted to do this film because I identified with the kids in the film. They came from the north side of Dublin, a working class area. And I came from the north of London, a very similar area. I suppose deep down that the dreams and aspirations I had when I was a kid are very close to theirs. Yeah, it's funny actually that I never would have thought of that sort of commonality, but it absolutely strikes uh, true. Uh, the Commitments, of course, today is thought of as a cult classic. And of course, it's on telly. It's probably on telly this weekend, actually, because yeah. it's a bank holiday weekend. <laughs> so of course, it'll be on telly. Uh, but it wasn't always so highly revered. Yeah, one of the only good things about this global pandemic has been classic television because they can't make television. So they have to show us, you know, Italia 90, USA 94 mm. uh, and the commitments on a kind of loop. But it's a very curious thing, the commitments. I mean, it's basically beyond criticism. I think it's so dearly held in the kind of collective memory and identity, not only of the city, but but of the country. Mm. That, you know, how dare anyone make any criticisms of it? But when it was released, it was received in a, a kind of really lukewarm manner. On the other side of the world in particular, uh, the New York Magazine review was great. They describe it as a Dublin version of fame, which, by the way, was also made yeah. by Alan Parker. A Dublin version of fame, likeable and bouncing, with a raspy surface authenticity and a great deal of affection for its characters and milieu, but not much dramatic interest. The commitments is immediately amiable, but it's not great. And it never really packed them in, you know, in, in North America. The hope was that this film would make millions upon millions, but it didn't. But it achieved a cult status. And I was often surprised when I was working in, in museums or doing walking tours in Dublin in, in a time long gone, 
you'd meet so many people from the US and they would say, you know, for me, I fell in love in, with Ireland when I watched The Commitments. Mm. So it was about as far removed from The Quiet Man, you know, as you mm. could get. But for people in the early 90s, it was the beginning of a love affair with, with this country, kinda, even if it wasn't a great success. I'm reading back at that that New York magazine review, this idea that it was, uh, you know, they were likeable, but not much dramatic interest. I, I sort of wonder whether that's just whether there's a, a particularly uniquely trait to it that you recognise this Irish thing of the nearly there and then it all fell apart and we just couldn't do it and these these kind of near misses that unfortunately define your life and maybe that speaks more to an Irish psyche Perhaps. than to someone else's. Uh, I don't know, it's kind of just interesting to see that it didn't take off the same way worldwide. Um, his films, Alan Parker's films, uh, they're often very big. He, they are. And and they, they cost a lot of money to make, you know, and I mean, he taught big and in that sense, I suppose he's about as far removed from, you know, the prior mentioned Ken Loach as a director could be because Ken Loach's films are they call them kitchen sink realism you know socialist yeah. realism <laughs> yeah. and they're about everyday people and everyday life and everyday surroundings you know Daniel Blake uh, on the unemployment benefits and the like but Parker films by comparison are just these explosions of emotion and colour and music and you know films like 1980s fame and, and, and very much commitments in the same style but Parker took Roddy Doyle's novel which was actually set in a suburb, Barrytown, which basically mm. Kilbarrick kind of rebranded. And he said, no, we have to move this into the, the heart of the place. You have to move it into the core of Dublin city centre. So in that sense, Parker took this suburban story and he made it the story of the Irish capital. Mm. And Dublin became, you know, when you watch the film, you can't get away from the fact Dublin is one of the characters on screen. Yeah, although there was a little bit of dramatic licence taken because even if it was originally suburban and then he transplanted it into a, a city centre environment, anyone who knows Dublin would know the geography is a little bit yeah, all over the place. Yeah, anyone who knows Dublin, like it doesn't particularly make sense as a, as a community. I mean, characters basically leap from one Dublin postcode to the other. So you've got Camden Street to Pembroke Road to Sheriff Street. But it's the north inner city and Sheriff Street in particular, which, you know, gives the film that amazing opening moment uh, that adds so much. And ultimately, they filmed in more than 40 locations, which was a lot. Uh, but they got a little bit at Kilbarrick and that was probably Roddy Doyle's insistence that mm. Kilbarrick somehow <laughs> get, get no, in no there. Doubt, yeah. But the entire film shot in 53 days in Dublin, which was relatively quick, you know, for a, for a $12 million dollar, stealthy, yeah. for a twelve million dollar film. And there's a great line when Parker's interviewed, he says, I have not had a more enjoyable time making a film and couldn't wait to wake up in the mornings to go to work. And on That's one level, way. you know, the film works because its environment was immediately recognisable. On another level, I think it also worked because the people weren't, the faces weren't. Mm. And today the cast kind of reads like a who's who of Irish music. But that's the danger of reading history backwards. I mean, at the time, these were all relatively unknown figures and the commitments is what propelled them mm. to start them. Uh, is that perhaps why there was one person who was being touted as a prospective member of the cast as someone who would take their place uh, in the commitments yeah. band who ended up being excluded? And I did not know this was the case at all. Van Morrison it, it nearly became part of the cast. You see, it wouldn't be the same magic film no. had he got the job. Van Morrison's the one who got away and Parker had him in mind for, for Joey the Lips. They actually met each other and they discussed the prospect, but the meeting didn't go very well. And you know, Van Morrison kind of said, why don't you want to use my music? You know, never mind me. Yeah. But the role went to Johnny Murphy and he really made it his own. And he had a great line later about the character. He said, he's in a time warp and doesn't want to leave. He loves, he loves the 60s. He's like a Peter Pan. And that really captures that character so well. But Van Morrison, I think, would have taken something from the film. Yeah. And when you well, watch it now... It would now, have become a distraction, wouldn't it? Because if the whole thing about Joey the Lips is all these amazing musicians that he's played with in the American Deep South, if you're going back and you're looking at that, you find it very difficult to yeah. think hang on they're talking about Van Morrison yeah, and, and all the people he's look, played with and Van the totally Man Van the Man you know the star was still shining a bit too bright to be in this film but like Maria Doyle Brona Gallagher Glenn Hansard Andrew Strong who we heard mm. earlier Andrea Corr actually all the cores like some of the cores walked by in the background they all got in 
But you know, some of those in the film, you know, they were just propelled to stardom and it was a shadow they couldn't really get out of. And Glenn Hansard later mm. said, I don't regret like, like doing it. the future it. Oscar winner, Glenn Hansard. Yeah, exactly. You know? He said, I don't regret doing it. It was brilliant. I just regretted having to talk about it forever. It overshadowed my own band. I spent the next 10 years in interviews talking about the commitments and not talking about the band that I was in. <laughs> but for the frames, you know, I think the commitments was ultimately a good thing. Yeah, no, I like the idea that he was doing interviews about like Fitzcarraldo or something that people were still asking him about what Outspan was up to out, out in Barrytown these days. Uh, you mentioned that the great hope for the film, but obviously when, when a studio puts in buckets of like tens of millions of dollars as they did at the time, this was a, a film in 1991, $12 yeah. million dollars was a very big budget. The hope was that it would really take off in the US yeah there's always some comedian at a Glenn Hansard gig shouting the right out span in the crowd in Vickers Street too but in terms of how the film did yeah the great hope was that it was it would transcend national borders that it would be you know a commercial hit because at its core was American culture so they hoped that American audiences would know the songs they tune into it mm. and then it had that kind of Hibernian twist which the Irish Americans uh, would go for released into more than 500 North American cinemas which you know for an Irish movie was, was uh, Irish-British movie was enormous but it finished outside the top 75 Five grossing movies in the US for that year so it wasn't a, a, a great hit but in Britain things were different and it was just adored in Britain and one reviewer actually in the review as a positive trait of the film he says you know this film is great you have to go see it they used the F word 145 times in 113 minutes so that <laughs> that's, was a, that's <laughs> the selling point the it? selling point for the crude for the crude Brits but I think yeah. in, in North America I mean, it was an R-rated film in North America and that may have put some people off going to see well, it so maybe you kind of yeah, lost some of the sort of authenticity if you had to, to water it down or to dilute it a little bit um, so not the, the box office success worldwide that they might have hoped but it did open the door for, for yeah. so much that followed that's its legacy I mean the commitments paved the way for a kind of 1990s explosion of Irish cinema but it also opened up Dublin as a filming location and I think it also put the you know an inner city Dublin accent you know on the big screen mm. that moment had arrived as well and there was always talk of a, a talk of a sequel. Actually, Harvey Weinstein of all people had acquired the rights for a, a sequel to the commitments in recent years, but thankfully it never materialised. And mm. I think a sequel, as, a actually, sequel, as distinct to the rest of the Barrytown trilogy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it would have greatly hurt uh, the commitments had that had that happened. But it's very hard to imagine Irish cinema without it, and you know, with the, the commitments, which demonstrated, I suppose, inner city Dublin and community, and then Angela's Ashes, which I mean, forced us to examine difficult dimensions of the story, mm. the Irish story. I think Parker's contribution uh, to Irish cultural life is just extraordinary in the late 20th century and, and we owe him so much. Indeed, we certainly did. Alan Parker passing away this uh, this week at the age of 76. Donald Fallon, thank you very much for that run through. You just, you'd forget just how varied it is that the same guy who did the, the commitments <laughs> could do a visa. Like, it's an I just love that. It. It's it is really absolutely remarkable. Uh, Donald Fallon is a historian. He is the author of the Community Books and he's the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast, which you can find online.